Hi Sarah, welcome to Stories from the Grey Hill. I'm so excited for everyone to hear Starcrossed. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So um, I'm a student at UHI. I study literature and about two years ago I got an email from I think my head of department advertising this screenwriting competition um, that lots of students would get the opportunity to send in a play um, that would then be judged by, um, by votes and then go to panel of judges basically um, and they get to choose uh, a winner who would then have the opportunity to be recorded or even performed by the Grey Hill and I thought I sounded good enough with um, not too high stakes because if I didn't win I didn't win and if I did win what would happen um, so I entered Starcrossed um, and turned out I won so it can't have been that bad I guess and that's how we met and um, Starcross itself is um, a play about uh, a girl and a boy basically meeting uh, while performing Romeo and Juliet. So it's like a little bit of a parallel thing. Um, they perform Romeo and Juliet on the stage, but they also have a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet thing going on off stage. Um, but it's quite um, contradictory because everyone who knows Romeo and Juliet um, is about, um, you know, unrequited love turning into huge love which is unhealthy love and then not love anymore at the end because they can't love each other anymore um whereas I was trying my play to be more about um you know healthy love developing love um which is like the build of a contrast of on stage unhealthy off stage healthy and how those two are like intertwined what inspired you to write this play and explore the journey of Jeb and the other characters I wanted to write something that um a lot of people could relate with so it couldn't have been something like way out of um out of the reality of this world so i feel like especially because i'm a student um a student pupil style play from from drama class basically um for me felt really relatable because um i'd done that before i'm a student right now um and i feel like that was kind of the target audience i was get, trying to get to um like you know teenage love in a in a, in a school style setting so either very reminiscent adults or um, just generic students. Um, and I felt that for me in the front of my mind at the time of writing, um, because of my of my literature um, class, I had been reading lots about Shakespeare and we had been doing Shakespeare at the time. And I've always got a little bit disliked Shakespeare. In the beginning, I loved Shakespeare because I was naive. And I started reading some of his stuff and some of his stuff was really good. But then Romeo and Juliet, there's so much wrong with it. The longer you dive into it. Um, and I was like, it's a, it's a story with potential. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, Shakespeare um, scholars will contradict me and will, will tell me, oh, no, you missed this crucial part. But for me, what always came across is that, you know, you have to love endlessly and you have to give yourself up in order to have an ad, uh, admirable, admirable love. And um, I just felt like it didn't have to be that way. So um, that's what inspired it, that I wanted to give Romeo and Juliet to have a um, chance to redeem itself. Um, and Jeb and Katrina were just um, my two pathways that, in that direction because I had to have a Romeo that um, was completely different, is not self-absorbed, is not arrogant, very helpful and has a dream and wants to get to that dream but isn't nothing is holding him back. No, no love will ever you know, bind him to the place that he is if he has a dream that he wants to achieve. And I need a Katrina that has a learning experience because, you know, Juliet and the play is about, what, like 
four years younger than Romeo or something, like 14. So I had to have a young Katrina or a younger Katrina um, that is still growing and is still learning. And um, you need different experiences to find out what's going on and how to love and how important love is to you and what kind of love. So I felt like Katrina would be um, a younger person, um, maybe a year beneath Jeb. And she's just getting into this. She she started out. She did it because she needed it to not fail her classes. So it's kind of like a um, she has to do this, but maybe she can get some enjoyment out of it, which in the end I think worked quite well um, for her. So yeah. How did you approach the challenge of portraying the rehearsal process of Romeo and Juliet within the play? Because that's quite a nice scene. Um, honestly, I drew a lot of of it from my own uh, drama classes when I um was visiting a drama school of school as well so the rehearsal itself was very much based on how my past rehearsals have been um especially with the teacher as well um because I, I based her off of a very, uh, very very strict person I know that has taught drama before with me so um I know exactly what that scene would look like if I was in it um and I know exactly what would happen if I if I messed something up that had been performed and like practiced a lot before. Um, if someone did something really, really well and how extremely annoyed other actors can be. If you think something's in the bag already and then someone messes something up that that she should not, or they should not mess up. So um, I drew a lot from my personal experience there. One of the scenes that I wanted you to elaborate on was the significance of the stage kiss scene and its impact on Jeb and and our version, Catriona's relationship. Tell us more about that. So, um, you know, like the um, the famous kiss in Romeo and Juliet at the end where they both kiss each other um, yeah. to then both die together. Um, I that, that is also a very instrumental piece in the actual Romeo and Juliet. So um, I needed to make sure that I have it in here as well. But without the you know final death part because that's what I wanted to reverse so um I made sure that I got it in but for me what I thought is that that kiss is basically the ending of their relationship because that means that the play went well um in the end in the big performance um but their, their relationship is dying but only because Jeb is going on to better things and Katrina has learned and is, you know, rising above her station and is now so much more experienced and so much more content with what she's doing. So it's the end of a relationship in that kind that both of them grow and both of them realize that, you know, they have to go apart in order for both of them to achieve what they want to do. Whereas in Romeo and Juliet, um, you know, both of them kiss and a relationship dies because they decided to um, only stick together and then, you know, fail together. Whereas I wanted Jeb and Katrina to, um, you know, rise separately what what were the things that you wanted to convey through the the character's pursuit of their dreams and their ambitions because I suppose what was really interesting what you did you know Romeo and Juliet is all about these high juxtapositions of you know the fights between the family love but then in your version is very much about that transition which we've all been through of going to school, secondary school, thinking about now college or drama school on this occasion. What was your thoughts about those high stakes within the play? Um, so I felt like, 
like my one of my my main objectives here was to show um independence and mm-hmm. the high stake was either losing that independence for Katrina if she failed her class and if that play didn't go well and for Jeb um losing that independence if he didn't get to go to to London for the drama school so um it is about um both of them have something to lose <clears throat> but they could win everything as well so um if both of them pull through either together or independently because both of them need to go where they're going and Jeb Jeb's objective is to help Katrina um for him to then like it's it's like an like altruistic act for him to be able to go to London basically and Katrina needs to completely trust this stranger in order to to just get through the year and maybe you know get some get some love and get some feelings from it as well um so both of them have their independent goals but I don't think they could have gotten there without the other's help <clears throat> especially Katrina because uh she felt very insecure and Jeb gave her the security and told her, don't worry, it's fine. If you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. If you do feel comfortable, go for it. Um, and Katrina needed to l- learn to trust this person, um, but also not, you know, to fall helplessly in love that she would then completely um, be distraught at the end if, he, if he's leaving. Like, she always knew he was going to leave. So this could never have turned into anything seriously if both of them wanted to keep their independence. Um, but it was it was a, an act of community but in order to go apart at the end again, basically. So it's just like a little bit of a struggle with independence and uh, trustworthiness. Yeah, no, I think that's everywhere in life, isn't it? And it's beautifully written in this play. One of my favourite characters, um, Sarah, is Maggie. (laughs) And uh, tell us more about how you came to the persona of Maggie and what is... What role does she play within Star Crossed? Like, what is the overall narrative of Maggie within the play? So, like I said, Maggie herself is based on uh, an old drama teacher I used to have. So I had the inspiration of <clears throat> a stern woman who her head is in the her head is in the game. She she knows what she wants. She has these famous friends. She has these connections. So she has to deliver. Um, that's her. That's her you know, external reason to be there. Um, the internal reason for Romeo and Juliet, um, you know, the, the the friar in Romeo and Juliet, not the friar in my play, but in the actual play, <clears throat> he is a little bit of a, of a guidance person. Um, both Romeo and Juliet can trust him. Uh, he helps both of them. And in the end, it's his goodwill, basically, that gets them, that gets them to die. Um because it was his idea with the poison and it's his idea with the cove. Um, he meant well, but in the end it was the wrong decision to make. Uh, whereas Maggie, <clears throat> sorry, uh, whereas Maggie is, uh, she makes the right decisions, um, not necessarily out of goodwill like the friar, but because out of intent and she knows what she's wanting and she knows how to get there. Um, and I feel like she also knows how to choose her characters really well. Because she wouldn't have chosen Katrina without seeing her potential. And she wouldn't have chosen Jeb without seeing what he can do, what he's capable of. And, you know, the calm that he brings into the cast. So um, Maggie was very much like the guiding light that the the play needed in order to set it up and to get the characters into the right direction. I suppose one of the biggest questions now that you've told us more about Maggie is, do you still keep in touch with the drama teacher that it's based on? <laughs> no, no, sadly not. Um, 
she was, uh, I think she retired. She was a, a teacher I had for about a year when I was studying in the US. Um, and she has a vision. That that woman is one of the strongest women I've ever met. Um, very direct, very stern. Um, and she knows exactly what she needs from us. If she's not getting it, we hear about that very, very, very loudly. <laughs> but, to be fair, that's most drama teachers. <laughs> yes, but that woman was, a, she was a different kind of intense, but it was kind of inspiring um, because we always knew, okay, we just have, as long as we do what she says, we're, we're getting where we're going. Um, so no, I don't keep in touch with her anymore. I keep in touch with a couple of my fellow drama students from that time. And uh, we we reminisce a lot about about that because there was lots of funny experiences especially the the um the pre-drama yoga that we did about 20 minutes of yoga every time to clear our heads and for some reason I don't know how but it worked <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely pre-drama yoga yes one in scene three uh Catriona struggles with her lines like most actors let's yes. be honest and what emotions did you want the audience to feel and how does this moment affect the story's progression because I suppose up until scene three we we see one side of Catriona and then from scene three onwards there's a, and there's a change we, we feel differently towards her. So in the beginning you don't really understand why she's struggling I mean everyone has the stage fright so maybe it's that maybe you don't know yet if she's if she's just sloppy and doesn't learn her lines or if she um if you just a stage fright and you don't know how big of a character she's going to be but by scene three you've kind of got the point that she's the main character that you have to be invested with and um you also you also learn that she really wants to and she cares and she feels bad enough about herself already that she doesn't need anyone else um pushing her down with her that's why she gets so upset um and is just so apologetic like she said it's not like i'm not trying but um, so I, what I kind of felt it was needed was a little bit of relatability, even if you're not necessarily a student in that exact position. Um, we've all had stage fight. We've all um, lost the point of what we were doing at the time. And um, we've all like pushed ourselves down and like beaten ourselves up for something that, you know, we all know we should be able to do better. But we just messed up in that point and we felt really sad about so um, I feel like the, the forgetting of the lines was kind of me trying to make it more relatable. If that makes sense? Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. I think nerves cause this anticipation of forgetting your lines and, and it makes you question yourself whether or not you've actually learned them. Well, I know for me it's happened in the past anyway. Sarah, what do you think the play says about dedication and hard work that's required to achieve one's goals, especially in the field of acting? So, especially if you're if you're an actor or actress, hard work and dedication is the only thing that keeps you going. Because if you don't have either of those two, you give up. Um, so many of my friends have gone through this. I have gone through this. Um, it's really, really hard in the acting world even if you're happy and content to keep it at like an amateur stage if you want to go further um it's so easy to drop out because in the end only like two percent make it big anyway and then you say okay like why do i bother why, why do i do this um and that again is like a little 
it's a little nod to all of my acting friends and to my acting past because it's just so important but at the same time it's also important for almost any other path in life um, as long as you work hard or are dedicated then nothing's going to hold you back like life can throw so many things at you but hard work either gets rid of them or you push through and dedication is just dedication can like can change as well like you don't always have to be dedicated to one thing and as soon as you start another thing you lose your dedication no as long as you always know where you're going and what you intend with the next step that you're doing um that's dedication you don't have to be dedicated to a thing but like to a life path basically or like to where you're going um and for Jeb that was uh going to London but at the same time not you know losing his humanity but like still empathizing and understanding everyone else's struggle so for Jeb that dedication was less you know I need to get where I'm going but um I need to take everyone with me on the path um whereas for Katrina it was um the the hard work required to push through um to make to make the scene to then you know make her proud of herself to make Jet proud of her and also I feel like at the end it's a little bit of um the altruistic thing of if I do well Jeb gets to go which is like some some sort of like that you know sacrificing dedication basically she's dedicated to Jeb in a way that she knows he's going to go away if she does well but that doesn't hold her back that just inspires her to work harder um so it's very much a, a personal fight but also an interpersonal fight between them Sarah one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was how did you navigate the balance between comedy and drama and the play's tone, particular in the interactions between the characters. It's so beautifully done. And I think everyone that listens can obviously hear it. So how did you make it happen? So um, in the beginning, I kept it more um, mellow, more more maybe dramatic because it was a little bit of the introduction to the play and something had to go wrong, like something like not everything could be perfect from the beginning um, because nothing's ever perfect from the beginning. <laughs> um, so um, especially in the scenes where it's just Jeb and Katrina, but further on, um, it's it's easier to be emotional, be dramatic and have drama going on if it's just the two of them um, rather than the whole, like the whole ensemble cast basically um, because no one would be able to break down if everyone else was there. No one would be really mad except for that one scene when she um, storms out. But um, that must have been just like the, the, you know, the overpowering of emotions in that case. Um, but then again, when Jab follows her and talks to her, that's one of the, you know, heartfelt dramatic parts. Um, whereas in between the little the little jokes and the, um, I feel like the comedy comes very naturally because it's just an everyday interaction. It is meant as just like an interaction that all of us would have or could have in that situation. So um, just joking about little things or just um, lifting each other up with uh, one or two words. That's like an inside joke. Um, so I never intended for the play to either be a comedy or a drama. Honestly, I had no idea what tone I wanted to get with it. I wanted to tell a story. And if the story comes across relatably, that's perfect. And um, apparently I've subconsciously written it in a way that it had to be really dramatic and stern in the beginning. And then it kind of... Um, gets more loose and more 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 happy and more chill towards the end um until we just get that happy feeling of okay they've made it both of them are where they need to go and now it's just this this amicable ending of he goes away and she's she's okay with that um so I feel like 
it's a drama turning into a comedy, turning into a, you know, sad romance because they don't get together in the end. <laughs> Sarah, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, what was your vision for choosing Romeo and Juliet as a backdrop to your play? And how did it contribute to the overall narrative of the character's development? Um, I think that's part of the, uh, that was more part of the playwriting decision than um, the story uh, inspired decision. Um, at the time I was writing it, I knew I wanted to um, have that back and forth of um, a play. So like the, the first idea that I had was someone plays a play on a stage and then they have their personal life behind it, but they're also in the play. So the idea of um, the actual play of some sort and then the, the offstage play that's going on was one of the first ideas that came and then um I didn't honestly know which one would be the best what did I want to base my story around um what home did I want to give my characters um but then when you think of any play of when you go to theater if you think okay theater what's the first thing is like Shakespeare no possibly not for everybody um but for me personally Shakespeare's just like such a huge influence on the entire theatrical scene um and when you read plays it's like oh my god Shakespeare wrote plays like name any playwright and I think like 60-70% was like um Shakespeare so um that was what I was thinking of and then honestly as soon as the name Shakespeare came up in my into my head um the name Romeo and Juliet came with it uh, because that's the play I'm most familiar with. I've read most of the times. I think that was one of the first plays I've read when I was in school. Um, that's the play I've read most often. I think that's the play that was most often adapted by other people. Like um, you have you have Shakespeare in the Park. You have um, the, the the Shakespeare movie Leonardo DiCaprio, and then you have a Kenneth Branagh version. I think. Yeah. Um, so it's a very very good material to adapt it and transform it. But also, I feel like, especially because Romeo and Juliet's characters are both really young, they would fit perfectly into um, the school uni life cycle that I was wanting to talk about. Um, and I think from then on, it just fell all, all fell into place for uh, two characters to love each other and then die. And I was like, wait, no, I don't want that. Um, all right, I just take Romeo and Juliet and I, I show everybody how we, Shakespeare should have done it better. Um, I think that was kind of the thought process behind picking Romeo and Juliet. So Sarah, I'm keeping the best question for last. What was your vision for the ending? I mean, where Jeb is accepted to drama school in London and and how does this tie into the play's central themes? So with the drama school, I got the idea because when I was younger, of course, my dream was to go to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Um, I've actually stood in the entry. I have a picture of me when I visited London with my parents, and they took a picture of me in the in the entrance to I think one of the main buildings that has uh, the Royal Academy above it, written above it. Um, so you must have done pretty well. Um, of course, I don't know how accurate and likely it is that some random you know Scottish drama teacher will know an an English person that teaches or has anything to do with admissions at right, the Royal Academy. Um, so I don't know how likely that actually is. I think that's what that was more of my wishful thinking um, going into um, the play as well, because I was kind of projecting, you know, my, my my childhood dreams onto my character because they managed what I didn't manage. Um, so 
it is the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, so he's done really well for himself. Um, although I have to say, um, when I wrote the play, I wasn't entirely sure if Jeb was going to get it or if it was going to be Katrina. Um, because I wanted to give it to Katrina for, um, you know, just personal reasons, because I um, relate with Katrina. Katrina is a young student struggling drama. She likes drama, but she doesn't trust herself yet. Um, I, I relate with her a lot more than with Jeb, because personally, if I was in that situation, I would never have the patience to help anyone else. I would be one of those really, really annoying other people. Uh, not anymore, I think. Um, when I when I was younger, I used to be one of those people that would be really annoyed if someone forgot their lines because I always knew them, which of course isn't true because I also forgot one. Um, I forgot my lines a lot of times. Um, but I always wanted Katrina to go, you know, above and beyond. But in the end, it just didn't make sense for the story because Katrina was younger, was less experienced, and I always hate the kind of things where you know. Um, in films when the when someone has trained forever and forever and forever and then an underdog comes in and they're suddenly so good that um they immediately get in and they, they snatch it away from the person that worked hard um even though some films stage it as you know they're just better but usually they're not just better in real life they're not just better hard work like i said and you know if you concentrate on what you're doing and if you really put your all into it which is what jeb is doing then you get where you're getting uh, where you're going and I feel like it Jeb was more deserving not that Katrina you know in the following year might not necessarily want to go to London um, but for this time and this place uh, Jeb was more deserving of it for for the drama school part um, and then for the for the ending part like I said the relationship had to die because otherwise it wouldn't be Romeo and Juliet because it's such an, an instrumental part but I just didn't want the characters to die I don't know if that's selfish reasons because I don't like killing off my characters or um, because it just didn't make sense for these uh, for nowadays. And if I wanted to keep it realistic, I can't just kill off two teenagers. Um, that would not be as accessible and relatable anymore. <laughs> One of the things I love about this play is the way that it's ended. And I suppose I'm being a bit cheeky here, but on behalf of the listeners... Do you think there's more to come from these characters and the play itself? Can you see you writing more? So it depends who it's coming from, if I if if, if I remember that correctly for this play. Um, I didn't have much time for it to be uh, criticised before I um, before I handed it into the competition with the Greyhill. Um, so I sent it to my family and my brother was actually the best person at criticising. But I was always also the maddest at his criticism because I know it's right, but I don't want it to come from him. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a, like one of those double sided stories. It's, um, so if people criticize it constructively, um, of course there's this feeling of you know being rejected and no, that's not true and that's not what I intended it to do, which means it doesn't do it. So there's always this moment where when the criticism hits, I'm like, seriously, you're just being mean right now until I realize, no, no one's mean. They're all just trying to help. Um, and then I get it. So it's really just a split moment when I get the criticism and I feel a little pang of hurt because I thought it was perfect. Um, and then I read through it and then I realize, actually, this criticism is going to make my, well, this if it's constructive, it's just going to make my play better and then I can see it and then as soon as I put it in and I read over it I see wait that's it they were right it does make it better like I I could have I it wasn't my full potential that I had before and with this extra piece added it's just better 
And because I've had that a couple of times in the past already, I think every time I get um, criticized now, uh, it's easier for me to handle it. And the hang of rejection, it gets smaller and smaller every time. So I used to be really bad at it. Now I'm just moderately bad at it. And in the future, um, I will handle it perfectly fine. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us and answering these questions. I'm sure the insights of what made you write Starcrossed will help listeners to connect with your work in the audio theatre production. If you are interested in Starcrossed, you can actually purchase the full length uh, podcast episode via the Getty Theatre or the Royal Theatre in Dumfries websites. Or you can subscribe either via the two websites or via Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Patreon. Your support in helping the podcast Stories from the Grey Hill will enable us to create more brand new writing and audio theatre for you to enjoy electronically wherever you are.